Well, praise God. Uh, Chris, did you have those? Did you get those pictures? Okay, uh, let me tell you a little bit what happened this week. <clears throat> Another church, I don't, I don't know who they are, had purchased for the orphanage a drilling rig, and it was produ- it was made here in Texas. And uh, Chad and I, Chad Hillis and I went down and we looked at the rig and 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 how it was made. Told them it, it looked like it would work, and so. Anyway, this other church bought it, but then they needed us to go down to work the rig to drill it. And so Chad and Zach went with us, and uh, we started drilling. And uh, something like this has never been done at the orphanage. There was one time another rig tried to drill, and they, they were unsuccessful. And so it's a mud rig. And so anyway, the guys had to kind of figure out how this works because they drill with air around here. And I was so proud of them because they stood with it and they, they fought the, the hard battle to try to get a well dug. And it should have been really simple. And the, when we got to the job and they, we started, got the rig working, we drilled about 40 feet just like in 20 minutes. And I'm saying, this is the easiest thing I have ever done in a foreign field. This is going to be so sweet. And then everything kind of went sideways from there. <clears throat> and we spent the next few days trying to get another 50 feet, basically because something in the soil, when we were trying to mix mud and go down in there, we couldn't keep circulation in the pumps. And so anyway, it's kind of complicated to explain it all, but that's a bad thing, a real bad thing. And so we finally, there's us at success. We finally got uh, the, the well dug. We got, uh, at first it was only producing one gallon a minute, which is not any good. And so we prayed. And then in a minute, started producing five, four, then five, then six. And so we're still pumping it out right now and clearing it, hoping that it's even going to produce more, which is enough water for them to use to really make everything work out right. But the one thing that the guys did figure out was that the mis- there was mismanagement of water because of the pumps, and there were oversized pumps. And so basically, we feel like when I go back down there in three weeks for the church dedications, they've got some electronic things to put on the pumps and pump savers and stuff, and and really, I think we'll give them all the water they'll ever need. And so it's just a management of everything. So it was great success doing that. So praise God. We can give the Lord a praise the Lord for that. And it, was, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't easy. It was difficult. But the guys just held through and just fought through. And I was so proud of them. They didn't, nobody, we all wanted to throw down and start cussing. And we didn't. You know, it was one of those deals. You just wanted to go back and start chunking wrenches everywhere and just saying, you know, just mad because it should have worked easier and it just wouldn't work. But praise God, we made it. Other thing is, is that we got the sound system purchased for the church. And so that's being going to be getting installed. So when we go down there in three weeks, we have all the sound in for both the church and the children's church. So praise the Lord for that. We're going to smoke the side of the hill with sound. So uh, it's kind of funny because... We went into the, to the music stores, and, you know, we have four JBLs, and we're putting nine in the, right? Is that nine? Is it right, nine or 12? Eight. That <laughs> was close. So, basically, we're doubling what we have in here in the, in the church, but with a, a tremendous, lot better speakers, a lot quality of speakers and all. But down there, they do a thing in, in Guatemala, which they do like in Mexico also, where the pastor in the evening just puts a loudspeaker up on the church, and then he just, it's just this booming thing going all over town. And he doesn't preach a very good message. He preaches a real 
can you know hellfire and damnation kind of message it's not a real liberating grace message and so i was laughing i said this guy doesn't stand a chance now we are going to smoke him out so bad we turn on our sound system boy we're going to be preaching the gospel all over the whole area so i, I was happy about that so that's all gotten done and praise the lord for that um so anyway i just want to tell you a couple of just a couple of little stories um we just got a new child in, probably two years old, that um, it was just so heartbreaking. I can't even understand. I can't wrap my mind around it. But the child was being uh, sold by the father uh, in, to be molested at two, and the child had cigarette burns on her arms where they were, you know, just horrible, abusive things like this that you just can't, I can't even fathom. I, 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 you know, I wouldn't do it to a coyote, you know, and they do it to children. And we, but that child's rescued now. That child's going to be safe. That child's going to grow up and it's going to be doing a great, is, is going to be blessed and whatever. I, I got to go to the city and uh, see all of our college girls and just so amazed that these girls, you know, we, one of them is going to be a lawyer. Uh, one of them is, is uh, two of them are in, in beautician school. Uh, one of them is being an uh, uh, electrical, en- uh, yeah, electrical engineer. And just unbelievable things that they're doing and accomplishing in their lives. And to see that there they would, they would not have been there. They would not have made it if it wouldn't have been for the blessings of all of y'all, your prayers, your love, your support, your finances going to them. And it just, I'm just so happy that we get to be a part of it. Just so happy that we're even involved in something like that because I'm telling you, it is so, so, so glorious. Amen? So give yourself a hand clap. Okay, so I want to... I want to share, I want to preach to you this morning, and then we're going to have communion today. If you're, a, if you're a guest with us this morning, I'm so glad you're here with us, but I just want you to know we have an open communion service. Uh, we believe that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, He's your Lord and Savior, you're more than welcome to have communion with us. We're all celebrating being Christians. Amen? And so I, I want to preach, I'm preaching to the, to the communion service this morning, where we're going to end up. So I want you to be thinking as I'm preaching this message this morning about about this moment, you're going to come up. Because I, I tell you, you do not want to take communion and just have it as some ritual. You, you know, I, when I grew up in a church, the denomination I grew up, I was always so excited because I knew the first Sunday of every month we were going to have communion. I knew the preacher would preach short and that we would just be able to get up there and we would get out early. And I loved communion because of that. And not until I got saved and came to know Jesus to know what this communion service really means. Because in a minute, I believe with all of my heart at the end of the service when you come up and have communion that your answer to your prayers, the answer to your relationship, your fellowship, your walking with God can be increased and strengthened right here by faith. It's by your faith. It's not by that the, 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 the juice and the bread is super deluxe. It's because your faith comes in and takes part of that. Amen? So I, I, wanna, I, talk, I started sharing this message about grace and about where we're standing in grace. If you haven't heard all the messages, you just need to go back and listen to them. They're all on the, you can go to thewaterhole.net or you can go to the Waterhole app. You can listen to them because I can't go back and start reviewing. If I do, I'm never going to get anywhere. But I've been preaching about grace and where we stand in grace and, the, and what has happened and then how you were translated. When you made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, when your faith touched the power of God, and you said, Jesus is real, I want him in my life, and, and he forgave you of your sins. You were translated, according to 1 Corinthians 
uh, 13, you were translated from the kingdom of darkness. You were taken out of the devil's power. You were taken out from under the curse of the world. You were taken out of this. And the Bible says you were translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Well, that kingdom, that place you were translated into is a place called grace. And so many times we think about grace as, you know, God, that we needing to be spanked, but God not spanking us, that was grace. But that's not really the truth. Yes, it's a part of grace, that, but it's not really God's power really. So it's your position, the place you're standing with God. It's his position of being re- totally and completely clean and made right before him to stand there in front of the presence of God without any guilt, without any condemnation, to be able to go boldly into the throne room of God, talk to the heavenly father, talk to the creator of heaven and earth, and, 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 and to be, have this relationship, and you should feel no guilt or shame. That's what grace is. Standing there, able to just talk to Father God as Jesus talks to Father God, as Moses talks to Father God, as, 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 as any of the saints that have ever been before us, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, stand there. You have the right to stand there too because of grace, because of what Jesus did for each and every one of us. And so you've got to understand your position. You're not going to move forward in life in your relationship with God if you don't understand that you have that positional right to do that. Okay, now the second thing is then, is what keeps us from that? And what I started preaching about is having a sin consciousness. In other words, you you remove yourself from the presence of God. You, You go and you start listening to the voice of the enemy talking to you, telling you you're not worthy to be there telling you that you're, you're a sinner. Oh, God couldn't be pleased with you. Look what you did. All these things he tries to work on you, making you sin conscious rather than righteousness conscious or righteous conscious. All right? I don't know what the word is there, but it's one of those. So you're not standing, you're not waking up in the morning saying, oh, I'm a son of God. Praise the Lord. My, my sins are forgiven. Woo! I'm right here talking to God. You're waking up in the morning saying, man, I can't believe I had those bad thoughts. And, and so, you know, I don't know about God. And, and so you spend your time trying to work your relationship out with God when your relationship has already been worked out with God. As you listen to the devil, he'll talk you out of it. He can't touch you. He has no right to touch you. He has no power to touch you, no authority to touch you. But you allow him to touch you when you start taking his thoughts. Okay? In the book of James... Three in James three thirteen through eighteen, he says that the thoughts that come to you, the, the, those thoughts that are earthly and sensual and all this, he says they're demonic. So I'm not saying you're demon possessed. I'm just saying you're listening to the devil. You're listening to the wrong voice. You're listening. Let the devil tell you that you don't have any rights or privileges. You're letting the devil tell you that you don't have any authority. You're letting the devil tell you that you just you know if you did get in, you just kind of slipped under the gate. So just hang back by the wall and don't, don't, don't talk too much because, you know, you don't really have any right to be there. Hello? I've used this example time and time again, and, and it's perfect, you know. Uh, there's certain times that I'm flying I'm, because I, I'll get upgraded and I'll be in first class. And I used to always feel bad because I kept thinking everybody looking at me as they walked by, you know, in the poverty march. Have you ever noticed they always seat the first class people first? And then they make the poverty march, and so you have to go by looking at everybody sitting in first class. It doesn't make any difference. The first class people, listen, nobody puts their bags. Nobody uses the overhead compartments from coach to put their bags in there. They won't let them, right? 
But why do they seat the first class people first? There's still going to be just as much. You might as well sit outside. There's no advantage of getting on the plane early. Right? If you're flying on an aircraft where you have a designated seat number, there's no sense getting in there early. Everybody always tries to get in there early like you're going to get something. There's nothing in there. <laughs> Especially if you're in the cattle car in the back and coach. So they seat the first class people there and then do a poverty march. Everybody going by wishing they were in first class looking at you. And so because I know this and, and when I get to sit in first class, I feel like somebody's going to accuse me. You don't look like you're a first class passenger. <laughs> so I always am very conscious of keeping my ticket close. So I said, I don't care. I'm, I'm right here. 3D. It doesn't make any difference. This is my seat right here. I'm sitting in 3D because that's my ticket number right there. I ain't getting out. And so I'm hanging on to it, right? And even sometimes first class people, you know, they get tickets and then they, they don't sit with somebody that they're with. And so they want to change seats. It makes me a little bit nervous, you know, because then I, then I have to give an excuse when they, I'm thinking they're going to say something to me and then I want to pull up my ticket and it's not going to be the seat I'm sitting in. And then I'm going to say, no, no, I changed with that person. I'm really, I'm not getting out of here because I just feel like I may be thrown out because I don't feel like I'm a first class passenger, right? That's a sin consciousness. Are you with me? Because I'm a country bumpkin. Because when you look around at the people in first class, they dress a little different than we do. I noticed on this trip in first class, there was, there was four people that had on blue jeans. It was us. <laughs> no one else did. So... You know, I just know they're going to throw us out of there. But that's living in a sin conscience. See, that's what it's like living with, in, not living in grace. It's the same thing as not living in grace. You feel like any minute you may be thrown out. That's having a sin consciousness. Are you with me? You don't think that you have, you're worthy to stand in grace and to talk to Father God. This is what I'm talking to you about. This is what we have to break. This is what we have to tear down. This is what we have to renew our minds to what the Word of God says about you, that you are not a sinner, you are a saint. Well, I don't act like a saint. See, there you go, sin consciousness. You may not be acting like a saint, but we have a place called repentance, that we can repent and come and get our fellowship renewed. You're not thrown out of the kingdom. You just lost your fellowship. And it wasn't God that took you out. It was you that took yourself out. Are y'all with me? See, one of these days, if I keep getting to fly first class, I may feel like a first class passenger. Right? Because like right now, I get upgraded just because I work their system. In other words, you got so many points or you're doing some whatever and they offer you, you do it. But there's other people, you know, like you take, take Brother Ivan, you know, he's always in first class because he's flown, he's got so many miles and he's got gold status or platinum status or whatever. And so he's always going to get first class. And when you walk in there, because one time I was on a plane with him, and the, 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 the uh, stewardess came up to me, and she said, uh, do you know Mr. Ivan Tate? And I was like, how do you know? <laughs> and so I said, I said, yes, I do. And about that time, Ivan was coming in, and his hair was all messed up, and, and his shirt was untucked, and he just did not look like a first-class plaster, and I just... <laughs> I just looked at it and I did like this, and there he is in all his glory. <laughs> and then she just went over there and catered to him. It didn't make any difference what he had on. He could have had on a bikini, and she would have just been, bless God. 
Because, you know, it's showing on her list what he is. He's gold, platinum status. The airlines really take care of those guys. He's got millions of miles flying with them, you know, so they take care of them. So he got it. He just, you know, is comfortable with it. But see, I'm not. And maybe someday I'll be there, but right now, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with it. That's what you're doing. But I'm telling you, today's the day. Today's the day for each and every one of y'all to realize who you are in Christ and realize what this, this communion of, of being, being a believer in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what position it puts you in. It's time to stop listening to the devil, listening to the lies of guilt and shame and, and whatever that was on you, and to repent and say, Lord, I believe in you and I trust in you, and to walk in his forgiveness and to walk in your full redemption. Now, I want to say a few things here, okay? And you just got to let me finish before you start judging me. You've got to learn to walk out your righteousness. You've got to learn to walk out your righteousness, all right? Jesus paid a very heavy price for your redemption. He paid it on the cross at Calvary. He died on the cross. He poured out his blood for you and for me. He went to hell. He stayed three days in hell, and he fought the devil, and he won. And he came, it says, made a triumph over him, the devil. He made a triumph over him, exposed him that Jesus was the King of kings and the Lord of lords that there was no demonic control. He paid the price. He took his blood out. He poured it out on the mercy seat of heaven for you and for me to always be there that we have an ability and an understanding to walk in righteousness because of what he did, not because of what you did. You don't play any part of this except your faith and believe in what he said was true. You're never going to be good enough. You and your own strength and your own ability and your own works, you're never going to be good enough. They already tried that with the law. Nobody could do it. If Moses couldn't do it, listen, you can't do it. We, by faith in believing in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, stand in righteousness that Jesus bought and paid for us. To not stand in it is a slap in his face. Hear what I'm saying? Don't think you're all Mr. Humble Pie by saying, oh, you know, Lord, I just don't know if I'm worth it. Man, you just slapped Jesus in the face. You just said he didn't have enough power and authority to redeem you. You're just saying that he didn't really triumph over the devil. Drag him through the streets by his hair saying, I am king of kings and lord of lords. And I don't know about you, but when I start turning this thing around looking at it like that, I do not want to do that to my Jesus. I want to stand and say, Lord, I'm going to believe you for everything. I'm going to walk in everything you got. I want to be the man of God you call me to be. I want to be the best Robert I can possibly be. I want to do everything you call me to do because you paid a heavy price for my redemption, and I'm going to do it. I don't want to walk in manipulation. I don't want to walk in fear. I don't want to walk in judgment. I don't want to walk in anything, but absolutely my righteousness and love for everything you've got, and do it, Lord, because that's what you call me to do. And anything short of that, if you listen to the devil and him talk you out of your rights and privileges, well, then you're just saying to Jesus, he didn't pay a big enough price for you. We are to be, listen to this word. I read this word in a book and pulled it out because you can hear when I say it right now, you're not going to, you know, it didn't come from me. You're to be absolute masters of your life through the power of Jesus Christ. 
absolute masters. When I read that word in this book and I saw absolute masters, it was talking about something else. I said, absolute masters. I like that. An absolute master of my life. Not letting the devil come in and say anything. Not letting the devil lie to me. Not letting the devil trip me up. Not letting the devil come in any way in his demonic voices and his demonic things. Make, but put sickness on me. Put poverty on me. Take my joy. No way. I'm an absolute master of my life because of what Jesus did for me. You say, well, Robert, that's pretty bold talk, pretty arrogant there. Man, I'm telling you what, I'm not going to slap Jesus in the face. If that's what he paid for me and that's what he gave me, and if I don't walk in it, well, then I'm saying he didn't do enough. Look at the person beside you and say, ooh, I want to give no place to the devil in my life. I want to give absolutely no place to the devil in life, and I want to, I want to exalt that Jesus triumphed over him and over the curse of this world. Now, I want you to understand something, church. We're all different people, okay? We're all different people. God's called each and every one of us to be a little different in life. We're all uniquely designed, uniquely, uh, you know, uh, put together. There's some things that you, you would consider very important and, and that I don't see as important, but that's okay. Like, I don't care what color it's, the, the walls are painted. Well, I guess I do. If somebody painted them pink, I might not like it. But what I'm saying is that's not my focus. All of us have different gifts and callings in life. And, and what God's called me to do in life, you know, is... is one thing, and what he's called you to do in life is something else, but we're both working for the kingdom, amen? But no matter what your job is and what your calling is, you still cannot let the devil have any place. I will admit it, man, I have violent thoughts. When they tell me that somebody's burning a little child with a cigarette, I don't think I want to go pray for them. It doesn't cross my mind. I know that Jesus loves that, that person that's doing wicked things. I know he loves them. I know he wants them to go to heaven, but I have a hard time with that. I have a hard time in that, at that moment right there to control myself, okay, because I think violent. That's me, all right? But what I'm saying is I don't want to give any place to the devil anywhere, and I want to stop the enemy in every turn I can. And you have to be that way. You have to get down into your life and say, look, I am not going to allow a sin consciousness in me to keep me from walking in the grace of God that Jesus bought and paid for. You have been redeemed. It is a total, complete redemption. It is not a partial redemption. You either are redeemed or you aren't. It's black and white. There is no gray area. If Jesus redeemed you from sin, he redeemed you from all sin. So I know that the person who's doing wicked things to a child, there is a price paid for his redemption if they would repent. I know that if you just got mad and kicked the dog, then bless God, there's a place of redemption for you too. You follow me? There's no limit that God's redemption is not there and available for it. He paid, Jesus paid a high price. He paid a price that, that was for everything, right? Okay, so if he paid the price for your sin to that degree, did he not pay the price on the cross for your every other thing in life, your health, your well-being, your sanity, your joy, your peace? Did he not pay for everything? It's not a partial redemption. 
You were not just redeemed from sin. You were redeemed from every curse upon this earth. Prior to man sinning in the garden, the original sin, he walked with God and things were great. After the fall, the curse came upon this earth. Then he said, you're going to sweat, toil, and grow thistles. Right? He redeemed you from everything. He redeemed you from poverty. He redeemed you from sadness. He redeemed you from your past. He redeemed you from everything. He redeemed you from sickness. But if you don't look at it that way and you allow that stuff to stay on you, you're compromising your redemption. There are people today who are Christians who love Jesus but are living in sickness because they're not sure whether that sickness is of God or not. It's time to find out. It's time to look down in your hearts and dig deep and find out what did he redeem us from? Did Jesus redeem us from everything? When the well wasn't producing down there, I went over there and the boys were working feverishly, doing everything within knowledge gave them to do. And so I walked over and grabbed hold of the pipe. And I said, Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I don't know what's going on, but I just know you redeemed us from the curse of no water. So right now I command every spring, every, everything that's even around this area to flow into this hole, do whatever you got to do, Lord. I don't know how it works. I don't know what's down there. Make it work. So I left and went back down to the house. The minute Chad comes in there, and he says, man, we went from one gallon of water to five gallons of water. And I didn't even flinch. I said, well, praise God. That's what I said. I said, but I really want 10. So kill back and keep working. <laughs> Got to get 10. And I'm still believing God that it's going to come up 10. But you see what I'm saying is, what are we going to do? We're going to let, the, you say, well, I don't know. I don't know if you can pray over that because, you know, pastor, there's certain structures in the earth and there's certain regions. You go do, say whatever you want to. You just go figure it out whatever you want to. If that's where you want to live, fine. Just don't talk to me. Because I don't know, I don't know if God, you know, does he really want to do this? Because what is it? Listen, go do whatever you want to. Just shut up and quit talking to me. Because I'm going to believe God that my Jesus paid the price for my total and complete redemption. I'm going to believe God and pay. Look, you're going to, you, you know, what are you going to start compromising on? Where are, you going, where are you going to give up in life and start compromising? I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to compromise my faith. I believe in a total 100% redemption on the cross that Jesus paid the price for. Now, let me show you something. I want you to go to Luke 15. Story of the prodigal son. I touched on this last week, but I, I, I'm just now getting to the good stuff. This story of the prodigal son, I've preached it a million times. I know everybody in the world's preached it. You know it. But I want to show you something in here. <clears throat> I don't want to stick with you this morning. I'm going to read here, so just start in verse 11, Luke 15, 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them. You notice he, both of them got it. You'll see that? So, so he divided to them. So whatever the inheritance was, let's say the inheritance was $100,000, or, or let's say it's $200,000, and so he gave the younger boy $100,000, he gave the elder boy $100,000. So follow me. They both got it. The elder son stayed home with his money in the bank. The younger boy took it out. So they divided him their livelihoods, and not many days afterwards, the younger son gathered all together, journeying to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now, when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine. By the way, if you don't know what prodigal living is, because I never used that word, 
And one day I went and looked up what prodigal living was. It means he just lived for his own self in the world. So whatever he wanted, he bought. Okay. So when he spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and he joined himself to the citizens of the country, and he sent him to the fields to feed the swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods of the pigs ate, or the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Now when he had come to himself, he said, now how many, now when he had come to himself, when he had come to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, now I just want you to understand something. Before I read on, just listen to me. I can't prove this to you this morning, but this is me preaching. I believe God got through to the young man and opened his eyes about half of what he said. What he came to himself was and what the revelation was to God was the first part. How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I'm perishing with hunger? That's the true statement. Now the kid gets in, in his sin consciousness. And he says, all will arise and I'll go to my father and I'll say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you am no longer worthy to be called your son. You see the sin consciousness? The son is sitting there saying, what I've done is too bad and surely the father won't ever take me back as a son. That's sin consciousness. Who came up with it? I'm telling you. This is me preaching. I'm being a preacher this morning. But I'm telling you, the kid's sitting there. He comes and says, oh, my father's hired servants. They got bread enough to eat. And the devil slips right in there and says, yeah, but you're not worthy to be called her son. They happen almost simultaneously. A revelation from heaven and a demonic thought. So if that happened in the story that Jesus is telling the prodigal son, you don't think it happened to you? One moment you get a revelation, I am loved. The father loves me. And then the demonic thought slips in, yeah, but only if you do right. This is what you're wrestling against. This is what all of us are wrestling against at all times. The devil's slipping his thought in there. That's not just go rob a store, kill somebody, cut up a black cat in the back. It's this little subtle thought, just enough to get you off of the truth of the word that you begin to wrestle with. Maybe this, is this God or is this a devil? One time I said that. I was, a situation was going on in my life, and I said, now, is this God or the devil? And I thought, how can I not tell if it's absolutely good or absolutely evil? Because, see, the devil gets you in there, and he starts trying to twist things around. So the thoughts come in, the thoughts, the revelation, and the demonic thought came in simultaneously. He said, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he arose, and he came to his father. Now look at this. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. He had compassion. He ran, and he fell on his neck, and he kissed him. So he's trying to show you a picture of grace here. The kid's coming home. He's trying to get you to understand what grace is. When the moment you made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, you entered into grace, and the father ran to you and kissed you. Not sat on the big fiery throne. I am the great and powerful Oz. Right? Grace, he ran to you. Think of that, church. Think, let's get this in your mind. You, sinner, get saved, and the next thing you know, the creator of the heaven and the earth and all they're in is running to kiss you and say, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Runs up and hugs you, gives you the 
biggest hug in the world. Kissing on your neck. And you're like, same consciousness. I'm just, I mean, just let me, give me a little section over here. In the, I mean, I'm glad I'm in heaven. I mean, just let me get across the line. And God's hugging you and kissing you. Ah, oh, so glad, yeah. That's grace. Now look at the son. Look what happens. He starts out. He says, he saw him. He ran compassion on him. He ran his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you're in, in your sight. Now that's a true statement. Now he's getting into the demonic stuff. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, now did you notice that he cut him off? Did you notice that Father God cut him off before he got his speech out? Just make me like one of your hired servants. He cut him off. He stopped him. He didn't address it. He didn't say, look, shut up. Don't talk like that. He, he, he didn't, get, didn't get in there like that. But he cut him off. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and for your sight, no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Okay, bring out the robe, the robe of righteousness. Get him to, this kid, we've got to get him out of this sin consciousness. We got to get this kid out of the sin consciousness quick. Get him over here. Get the best robe on him. Get those big pig filled, stinky clothes off of him. Put the robe on him. Let him see. Let him get the feeling, the vestments on him, and the 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 the, the jacket and the the way it feels, and let him start to feel like a first class passenger. Are you with me? Put him on. Put that robe on him and get him feeling righteous. Oh, and bring the ring. Put the ring on his hand. Put the ring on his hand so he knows that he's got my signet ring, my symbol of authority that he can buy and sell and do business for me. Hurry, get it over here. Put it on his hand so he knows that. And put some sandals on his feet because, you see, in those days, servants didn't wear shoes. Masters wore shoes. He said, put those shoes on his feet because we got some walking to do. We got some relationship to do. We got some business to do. And we, I want my son in the shoes that he can walk with me and we can walk out this relationship together. So get him on his feet. Get him over here quick before he gets back to thinking he's not my son. Sin consciousness keeps you from realizing you're a son. Sin consciousness keeps you bound in a place where you don't put on the robe of righteousness, you do not walk in the, with the authority of God, you do not walk out your relationship with God. It keeps you thinking you're a servant rather than a son. That's what sin consciousness does to you. If the son would have stopped and pulled back and said, oh, Father, no, 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 I can't do that. I mean, I just came home because I'm starving. I just want to have some bread. So let me ask you today, how many of you are just, living your lives. How many out there watching this broadcast, you're just living your lives just because you're being a Christian, just because you're getting some food. You're just getting some bread. You're not, you're not going to take on the sonship. You're just happy to not be starving to death. You're just happy to need knowing you're going to heaven and you're not going to hell. There's a lot more to Christianity than just going to heaven. Each and every one of us have a job and an authority and a place to walk with God on this earth in your righteousness and the, with your, your signet ring and your shoes on to walk out and be the best person that you can be for Jesus because of the price he paid for you on the cross. Each and every one of you, you have a, a kingdom to, to manage. You have a kingdom to manage. It's time to start 
doing the crazy, what the world says is the crazy. It's time to start being sons of God. It's time to start being the people that, that do radical, unbelievable things. It's time to start believing for finances. It's time to start believing to, to rescue more orphans. It's time to start believing for things that you've never even stretched yourself to do. If you're managing the father's affairs and the father paves streets with gold, you think he didn't have enough finances to do and to rescue souls here on this earth? You think that we have to stop and look and say, oh, well, let's don't do that. It's just, you know, let's just get by over there. So they had the party. They killed the fatted calf. They eat and they marry. For the son was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now the older brother was in the field. And as he came, he drew near the house. Now he heard the music and the dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother's come home because he has received him safe and sound. And your father's killed the fatted calf. And he was angry about it. And he would not go in. Therefore, the father came out. He wouldn't go in, so the father came out. Grace again. He wouldn't go in, so the father met him, came out. Grace. Grace. Therefore, the father came out, and he pled with him. So he answered and said, Lo, all these many years I've been serving you, and I never transgressed your command at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might marry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came who has devoured his livelihood with harlots and, and killed the fatted calf for him. He said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. And let me ask you a question. This elder brother, did he still have his inheritance? So he had his money in the bank. He didn't lose anything. Technically, he was never going to get his brother's inheritance, right? Because if he's already given it to his brother, that's his brother's inheritance. So that $100,000 he gave him, or whatever it was, that hundred thousand. Well, what's going? What, what happens to it? It was never going to get in his hands anyway. So he didn't lose anything. The brother going out and, and losing it still would have not got back into his pocket. But he was mad about it. You know why he was mad about it? Because deep in his heart, he really wanted to go out and have some fun, and he didn't do it. So he was kind of mad. Yeah, I've got to stay here and serve the father, and you know, be the goody goody. And other brothers out there just whipping and snorting and having all kinds of fun. You see the point? The elder brother was thinking the younger one was having fun, and he was mad about it because he couldn't serve God and find joy in it. He said, I've asked you. He said, you never even gave me a goat. And the father said, what are you talking about? All that I have is yours. You could have had anything you wanted. But you see, he didn't know it. He wasn't walking in it. Why? He had a sin consciousness too. It was just different. And we're all different. We've all got different things we've gone through in life and all have different experiences in life. But that doesn't make any difference because you can be in church and being Mr. Goody Goody and still be living in a sin consciousness, not walking in your righteousness. Because you're going through all the motions, but it's no fun, you're thinking. Son, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. He had the kingdom, but he wasn't using it. He said, if you would have wanted a goat, just get it and have the kids over, have your friends over. It's no big deal. What are you talking about? Folks, listen to me. You may be in this place in life where your sin consciousness is keeping you from walking in the things of God, and you think, well, I'm going to serve God, but it's not really much fun. Listen, being a Christian should be the greatest thing in life. Being a Christian should be the greatest place in life. 
You're not missing out on anything because what the world has only brings you into bondage. Being a Christian should be the greatest, greatest, greatest joy every day to wake up and say, oh, man, I'm saving all the kingdom's mine. Where's my robe? Where's my ring? See, we always have to be stretching ourselves and believing for more because whatever you've seen God do for you up to this point of your life, he still wants to do more. Are you following me? I don't care who you are today. I don't care what you've done. I don't care if you can come up here and give me a list of accolades that you've done for God that is the greatest thing in the world, and God wants to do more. I've not got started good yet. I've not got started good yet. I've not got it all quite figured out. Not that a lot I don't have figured out. See, I was believing for 10 gallons a minute. I'm going to get to the place where I'm believing for artesian water. Because no matter where you're at, God wants to do bigger. If I believed him to give away $1,000, then, then I won't believe him to give away $10,000. And 20, then 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90,000. We were talking this time about uh, on this trip, we were all joking along. How do you, like if somebody would have won the lotto for the $1.2 billion when it was out, how do you write a tithe check out for $100 million? Do you... Do you write a check for $100 million? How does that work? Do you, how do you get the zeros on $100 million? And as they were talking with us, I said, I don't know, boys, but you get it, those numbers down on a check, I'll get it cashed. <laughs> I'll get it cashed. You don't worry about that. We'll get this worked out. It's not going to be like, oh, I'm sorry, Pastor, I don't know how to write a check that big. No, we'll get it done. You can write me $100,000 $100, checks, right? We'll get her done. Somebody going to give me $100 million, we'll figure out how to get it in the bank. There's somebody out there who knows what to do with it. I will find them. People, you know, a lot of things happen. And one of the reasons why the church, I'm talking about the church, all the church, hasn't been as successful as it could have been is because people who do make a lot of money, a lot of times they don't tithe. Because they say, well, if we tithe and give too much money to the church, it's going to ruin the church. And so they create foundations and control the money themselves. It's really about control. And I'm telling you, it ain't going to ruin me. It ain't going to ruin me. Now, I probably would get in a helicopter and fly to the orphanage from, from the city because we had to travel 40 miles. 40 miles is from the, basically from the airport to the orphanage, 40 miles. It takes two and a half hours. You sit in that for a while, you'll be believing for a helicopter because that's what a lot of them do. They fly helicopters out from the city just to get past all the traffic and fly a helicopter there. I'll put in a helipad at the orphanage. and say, so, well, that's just been extreme. I could be killed in a car wreck. Y'all with me? But see, what your sin consciousness limits you. See, I'm just saying, this, let's just use this example. Let's just play this example out. Your sin consciousness, well, that's just too much. I mean, it's just two hours in a car, and you're taking you know, whatever like that. It's just for convenience. Okay. That's where you want to live, then that's fine. But if I want to believe for an R44 sitting on the, at the, at the, uh, airport waiting for me, and I get out of there and just walk over there and get in the helicopter, and it flies me out there, and I'm out there in the orphanage in 10 minutes. I'm in the, at the orphanage in 10 minutes, and I didn't get in the traffic, maybe didn't get knocked in the head, didn't get shot at, didn't have a wreck, didn't get run over by a pig or a cow. Or... What I'm saying to you, which one's wisdom? And this is what I'm challenging you about this morning, church. Listen to me. If your heart is, you're standing there saying, look at that guy going out there and wasting all that money on that helicopter, you're the elder brother. That's who you are. Because you're angry 
that you didn't get to fly in it because you really want to fly in it and you really want things simpler to you, but you don't have the cash because you never asked God for it. So you're just really mad about the situation. Am I preaching good or not? So you're the elder brother because he went out and boy, he blew it. My place is in life is let's be sons of God. Let's walk in the robes of righteousness. Let's walk in the authority God gave us, and let's don't be limited in our fellowship with him and limited in saying, well, God could only supply this much. Why aren't we to say God can only supply this much? If God supplies it, who are we to be putting our limit on it? Sin consciousness keeps you that away. I'm telling you right now, if somebody had, if, I, if there was a way I could get my hands on a private jet, it was hangered over in Uvalde, and I could just go over there and get on the jet and fly to Guatemala. I'd do it in a second. I'd be believing God for the finances. I'd be believing God for the money in it. You say, well, Pastor, there's just no way. You could spend that money. You could go down there and spend that money, and the cost it takes for the jet, you could have spent that money, and you'd have more money. I believe God for more money. If my father has it all, why am I limiting it? It's not like you only get so much. It's only limited to your faith. Well, I just don't know if I believe that. You're the elder brother. And you need to fall on your face this morning and ask God to redeem you from being the elder brother. Because you're just mad because somebody else did it. We're wrestling the sin consciousness all the time, church, I'm telling you. When we get there and get it down into our hearts that Jesus bought a total and complete redemption for us, and we do not let sin consciousness rule and reign in our minds, then we will walk in the authority that he's given us as sons of God. But as long as it reigns in us, you're not going to walk in what God called you to walk in. Amen? I want to read one last scripture. I'm not even preaching. I'm just reading it. First, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You're a new creation, church. You're a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. He has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. He has reconciled. He did it. He reconciled us to himself. God's satisfied with the reconciliation. God's satisfied through redemption. Do you hear what I'm saying? He's done it. He fulfilled his part. There ain't no issue with him. The only issue is with us if we're going to let our sin consciousness talk us out of it. He's settled. It's settled. Everybody say it's settled. Look at the person beside you and say, it is settled. There's no deal on God trying to wrestle around saying, I don't know, we think we should have poured out some more blood? Do I need to kill another son? It's settled. It's been fulfilled. God reconciled it to himself. It's done. Anybody that believes in Jesus, my son, as his Lord and Savior, is righteous. <laughs> he did it to himself, and then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God was pleading through us to implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us 
that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Folks, it's been settled. You need to look at everything in your life that would not line up with the Son of God and rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Everything in your life that does not line up with what you have knowledge of that a Son of God should be walking in, you should say, devil, get out of my life. Let me ask you this, and I'm through. Let me ask you this. Is, is rust, rust that gets on metal, is it demonic? Oh, ye great theologians of God. Is it demonic? No. I have a no. I have some yes. I have some circle heads. Meaning you're going to go with me, whatever I say. Oh, yeah, that was right. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. No. Do you think there was rest in the garden? Oh, so now we're getting somewhere. There was no rest in the garden? Things didn't deteriorate? Things didn't fall apart? So you say, oh, pastor, you're just carrying this to an extreme. You know, rust is a natural process coming about because it occurs moisture in there and oxidization and whatever you want. It's true. That is true. You know where it came from? After the fall. It wasn't before the fall. It came after the fall. So all I'm saying is I'm redeemed from rust. You say, well, pastor, you're telling me nothing that you have rust? No, I'm telling you I have things that rust. Because I've never thought about it. I've allowed it to happen. You say, oh, you're out there now. He's going to be believing God. For Folks, I don't know if I'll ever get it done, but I'm telling you, I believe it's in the redemption. I believe things shouldn't break. I believe that you can have a supernatural life. I believe that you can have God taking care of you when you don't even know that you need to be taken care of. I believe that you can have things that last longer and things that are, are, are blessed and things that just work because. And if rust does break it, then my God's big enough to get me another one. But I'm challenging you and I'm challenging myself to say, why do we limit ourselves? Why do we stop and say, oh, well, that's all God would do if Jesus bought a total redemption? And so you're, all of us are one or the other. You are either the prodigal son or you're the elder brother. And the only third place you can be, which is where we need to be, is to be the son who's walking in righteousness. So you've got to figure out where you are, and then you've got to get there. Now, next week's message, no, Ivan's here next week. So the next week after that, I'm going to show you how to walk in it. Okay? Amen. Well, put your Bibles up. Can I have my, my pastoral team come down and prayer team so I can serve you communion? And The plan this week, guess what it is? Guess what the plan is this week is Luke chapter 15. Luke 15 is the plan this week. Praise God. I kind of panicked on the plan this week because I realized that I was going to be in Guatemala. And I was like, oh gosh, I've got to get double done. And so I had this great deal. I was going to go get in a pig pen. And, and do this whole video in the pig pen. You know, pigs run around everywhere talking about the prodigal son, and then I never had time to get it done when I realized the last minute before I was leaving to go to Guatemala, I'm like, I don't have a video. But it's good. I came up with some good other stuff. But... So praise God. So let's get our hearts right. 
I'm going to serve these and I'm going to help you serve. You, I'm telling you, come up here to the, to the altar today. I'm believing God to break that sin consciousness in our life. And I believe today, through this message, each and every one of you know what you're dealing with. So on that night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He blessed it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, Now take and eat, for this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this now in remembrance of me. So we're taking the broken body of Jesus and we're saying, Lord, we're believing you that you could buy a full redemption for us. That all the brokenness in our life, the rest in our life, the corruption, the things that take place in our life, Lord, your broken body was more than enough to buy that redemption back from us. Then afterwards, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant. It's not like the old covenant, but it's a new covenant. It's poured out in my blood for the forgiveness of sin. Now you remember, church, when you come pick up this cup this morning, you just remember you're getting hold of the most powerful thing on the face of this earth, the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, it's just grape juice in here. But by faith, when you grab hold of it, you believe that His blood has the power to redeem you from every part of the curse. Because your sins are forgiven. And when your sin is forgiven, your sickness is healed, your lives are changed because of what is in this cup by faith. It's by faith. There's no magic potion in here. If there was, I'd put it in there. If there was some magic Holy Ghost dust I could dust in here that would just pop all y'all straight, I'd do it. But there's not. It's called your faith. So this morning, you should come to this service come to this cup and if there's any guilt any shame anything you need to be forgiven of you should walk out of these doors clean bright and shiny your heart's beaming knowing that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus so Lord we thank you for this cup and the power in this cup and this covenant you give us Lord Hello, this is Robert Richards, and you're listening to The Waterhole, our weekly broadcast, which is now available on iTunes and all major podcast platforms. You can also watch the weekly video broadcast on our YouTube channel. Link's in the description. I pray this has been a blessing to you, and if you've enjoyed this message, please share this with a friend. God bless you, and remember, no matter where you are and what you've done, Jesus loves you.